Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. As per the past few weeks, I'm going to be opening this one by doing the drawing for this week's lockdown giveaway, which is a Genesis 3 with the triple bypass installed. This is the VA2 model, and the install was done by Jose, so it's a good quality one. Um, anybody that wants more details on what that is, please check out the triple bypass video, and I guess even the lockdown video that explains exactly what's in this one. But anyway, I just wanted to thank everybody for participating in these, and let's jump right into doing the drawing. Okay, now as usual, I'm going to be doing the drawing in real time so everybody can see there's no funny business and this is just doing it legit. And unlike last week, I will see if I actually remember to speed this up once this actually gets going. Uh, and just wanted to make the point also that uh, capitalizations don't matter, how many times you do the word giveaway doesn't matter, um, everybody just gets entered once, there are no duplicates or something like that. So let's, uh, let's get the comments and see what we find. Okay, the winner is David the Frogman. Congratulations, I really hope you enjoy the Genesis 3 VA2. I really love these little consoles, and uh, I just, I, I think it's awesome that we're able to restore the functionality with really high quality audio and video coming out of it. So, uh, congrats, and thank you to everybody that, uh, that participated, and good luck next week as well. First up, Sterling posted a guide on how he modded a Dreamcast VMU with an aftermarket Nintendo DS backlight. Um, and we kind of went back and forth and said, you know, hey, this might have been something that's more of a fit for the wiki, but the wiki's not up yet, and I thought it was a very cool mod, so I asked him to post it uh, just as a normal news post. I guess maybe in the future, the, the best way to handle mods like this is to have it written up on the wiki, and then we just do a super short news post of like, if you want to mod your VMU, here you go. But anyway, um, I thought it was very cool because I'd never seen anybody do this. And you don't need to cannibalize a DS. You could buy the DS backlights online um, and just, you know, and just use new old stock or, or third-party reproductions of it. And I believe one of the backlights can be used to do two VMUs. So overall, I mean, it seems like a fairly complicated mod and something only a hardcore Dreamcast fan would really want, but there's a lot of us out there. So, you know, and there's a lot of mods that I talk about that fall under the same category, right? Things that um, that if you mention them to some people, some people would go, who the heck would do that? And other people would go, oh my God, why haven't I done that yet? So uh, I like it. Um, if I ever have extra time, I'm going to try to get around to doing mine. Um, and it just, it seems like something that um, I, I wish people made after aftermarket VMUs with the backlit already built in so you could just buy one and you know uh, I don't know maybe a rechargeable battery or something so you didn't have to change the the circular battery in there every three days or something 
Dan Mons just posted the first three videos in a series that shows you how to color calibrate a CRT. Um, it, this one, the first video in the series is kind of long, but it really goes into some of the theory behind color calibration. And it's one of these subjects where in order to actually truly understand the theory, it's like music theory. You could study it forever and never quite get everything that you need to understand about it. But I thought Dan did as good a job as humanly possible jamming all of that info with some pretty good examples um, into the first video. I watched it and I'll admit I had to rewind a few times, uh, a few parts a, f a couple times, not because of Dan's explanation, but because certain parts of the theory I'd never really dug deep into before. So while I'd heard the things that he was saying, I didn't really grasp them. So I really enjoyed the first one. And then part two is talking about setting up uh, the software and then part three showing uh, the first steps in color calibrating a Sony PVM. So, you know, there are some BVMs out there that are compatible with that automatic tool that does it. Uh, but generally speaking, you're stuck doing all of this calibration stuff on your own. And while there are very good guides out there to calibrate geometry and stuff on a CRT, I don't know of a series that's focusing on it the way that Dan's is. So now we finally have a place to go to to look for color calibration stuff. Um, and this did remind me, years ago, Cousin Scott and I were at a demo and we saw a brand new... Uh, calibration tool for modern TVs where you plugged it into the USB port of the TV, you set it up, you set the TV in service mode, and you just walked away. And that was it. It did everything for you in like an hour and a half or something. Um, and the last I heard, you were able to rent those from places because I guess they're they're incredibly expensive. And that's certainly something I would be very interested in for a lot of reasons. Everything from gaming to just enjoying movies. So does anybody know anything about that that you would mind... Um, wouldn't mind sharing in the comments because I know where you could buy them, but I mean, they're insanely expensive and I know where you could buy the ones that, uh, that are manual. So you set it in front and it tells you what settings to change, but then you still have to sit there for, you know, two hours. Whereas the automatic ones, you could press a button, close the door of the room, walk away, or I guess in my case, leave the apartment, <laughs> walk away and let it do its thing. Um, and that's kind of, I know it's a little bit lazy, but you know, I don't have extra hours to do stuff like this. And I think it would be really cool for a lot of us, even if we, even if it was like a few day thing, even if a few locals got together and rented one, we just like brought it to each other's houses or something like that. So I don't know. I, I'm super interested in calibration, but I also don't have the patience that some of my friends do that they could sit here and get it perfect, uh, good enough you know, good enough for me is probably a lot pickier than your average person, but I'm not super, super crazy with it. So having any kind of automation would really be a cool factor. But anyway, back to, uh, you know, back on topic, check out the series if you're into this stuff at all, or if you already know how to uh, color calibrate and you just want a refresher, I guess just skip to the third video. And I'm looking forward to seeing whatever else Dan has to add to this. Someone recently posted a custom software for the Raspberry Pi Zero that can turn that when you combine it with a camera into a lag testing device. Um, and I absolutely love do-it-yourself stuff like this. So essentially it works by turning on the Raspberry Pi Zero's LED at the exact same time that a signal is sent out of the HDMI port. And then you could use any kind of video camera, even the one built into your cell phone, uh, to record that at 60 frames per second and get a fairly accurate reading. Now, um, 
I talked a little bit to the person who designed this that seems to think you can get an incredibly accurate reading with a 60 frame per second camera. I've had mixed results in other testing I've done with this. So I have not tested this specific one, but when I used to split a CRT and a, a flat panel and use the 240p test suite, you know, th there were always some kind of issues. Video tend to work, or tended to work a little bit better than pictures because of the way the shutter works when you're taking pictures. So I'm not sure how precise you can get it. I do know that obviously the faster the frame per second camera, the, the better. I have that 960 frame per second camera that takes terrible quality pictures, but each frame is essentially about one millisecond, making measurements like this incredibly precise. You can get it down to one milliseconds of testing. So a uh, huge fan of do-it-yourself stuff. I do hope the project kind of takes a little bit more or evolves a little bit more, I guess. Um, I would love to see something like the Raspberry Pi camera module integrated in. So maybe you even have a 3D printed case. Um, I'd also love to see support for older Raspberry Pis or even newer ones. If you have a Raspberry Pi 4, that means you could probably test 4K60 um, and all resolutions up to it. And if you have an older one that you're not using, which I think a lot of my, my fellow nerds probably have a Raspberry Pi laying around that, you know, they used to use for emulation or something and now they don't need it anymore because they have a newer one i'd love to see that be able to be integrated into a cool 3d printed case with a camera module because at the end of the day it's going to be the same price or more expensive than a time sleuth at that point if you don't already own the stuff if you have this stuff laying around like what if you have a raspberry pi 2 and an old camera module and now you're buying a pi 4 and the brand new camera module it's a perfectly good way to, to reuse that. So I hope to see the project evolve to that, especially with a built-in camera, because it's possible that you could have a Time Sleuth-like device. Um, and, you know, even if not, even if it's in just stays in its current form, this really would be a good way for people to measure a TV if they just have one TV they want to test. But I do always want to make the point that something like a Time Sleuth is a dedicated device for this. And it's what I prefer to use. And, you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, why would I buy a time sleuth for only one TV? And it's the exact same thing as saying, why would I buy a hammer if I only need to hang one picture? Um, if you really do only need to hang one picture, fine. But if you're somebody who likes to have tools, knowing that if you ever need to do something like this again, you can... I would definitely buy a dedicated device, whether that's the Time Sleuth or whether there's an eventual version of this with a Pi 4 and a camera that could do 4K60 or something, whatever it might be. I would definitely always recommend people buy a dedicated device if that's something that you're going to continue to use on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, I hope, I hope that last part of this didn't take away from the praise of the project that I started out with. Uh, you know, I, I like all of this stuff equally. I just want to try to always give a balanced opinion so people could make their choices based on their own situation. Would you like a tool that you could constantly use that's dedicated, uh, that you could just power right off your TV so all you need is a USB cable and a uh, HDMI cable? Would you like to reuse other stuff you might have laying around? Now you have options. So uh, please check out the post and the links for more info. Remute's new album called The Cult of Remute is now available to purchase at Stone Age Gamer. So no pre-orders or anything. It's right there in stock. 
Um, and this is the album that was on a SNES cartridge, but actually runs like a SNES game. So it's not something like an MP3 player that passes the audio through. It actually uses the SNES sound chips, just like Remute's previous album that was released on an original Sega Genesis cartridge. Um, I listened to it on my newly refurbished Super Nintendo and loved it. Um, thought it was a great album. Thought it was just as good as the other uh, the the others that I've been listening to. But there's just something cool about the fact that I'm playing it through a Super Nintendo, hearing samples generated in the same way that some of my favorite games were generated. And it it gave me the same odd but awesome feeling that listening to the Genesis music did as well. So definitely a giant fan. Um, I, I also just wanted to, to echo some statements out there. Um, Remute, I guess, has a licensing deal for digital distribution. So if you use the track from this album in your video, it'll get flagged um, and it'll, you know, you'll lose monetization. So that's not Remute going out there attacking anybody that uses his music. That's just part of the digital distribution rules and there's nothing anybody could do about that. So I felt that was worth bringing up because I've uh, very often used Remute's music in my videos with permission. I probably won't now just to be safe. I don't want a video to go viral and the $3 I get from it get taken away. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to put that out there because I was afraid some people were misunderstanding when that was happening and thought like Remute was going after people. It's not, not the case at all. Uh, but anyway, if, if you're into this stuff, at the very least, uh, you could listen to the music right on uh, the Bandcamp link, I believe. Uh, I'll have everything in the post. Um, you could check out pictures of the PCB that are very nicely done and pictures of everything right in the main post as well. So another really great album and a very unique way to play it. So thanks again to Remute. I just released a video called Building a Mini MVS, where I took a small CRT-based emulation Neo Geo machine, gutted it, and rebuilt it twice, because I wasn't happy with how I did it the first time, so I ended up rebuilding it and making it a real Neo Geo machine. And this was a very fun project that I had a ton of fun just completely learning about stuff and experimenting. Um, there were two things about it that I, I delayed making this video because of two unfinished things. One is a completely unrelated product that I was going to put in this that I could just do a separate video on. So not too big a deal. Just a hint for something cool to come arcade related. And the other thing is that I couldn't get the video on this CRT perfect. It's very good. Uh, good enough for me in most cases. But it needs to have, I believe it needs to have capacitors changed to realign the video. So um, if anybody's into this stuff or knows about arcade chassis, I have a link to arcade projects where I posted a thread about this. Uh, you know, I would love to be able to get this perfect. I just need to know what components to change and what value to change them to. Uh, but even if it stays in its current state, I still think it's awesome, and I'm super happy I did it. In my opinion, this is how I prefer to play Neo Geo games. In an arcade-like environment, it's a bar top style, um, and it's got what's essentially a real Neo Geo stick, a real Neo Geo motherboard, and now a ROM cart so I could play the whole library on it, and I don't have to reach my hand in there to change games. So uh, I really enjoyed this whole process, making the video, doing the, the work on it. So please give the video a chance, and, and hopefully you all enjoy it. And uh, if you're any arcade techs out there, please let me know if you could figure out a solution to the capacitor thing. 
There's been a firmware update posted for GDMU units that adds fixes for certain games, as well as the ability to cap the speed of the GDMU. I'm not sure if that's for compatibility issues or for speedrunners, but for me personally, I would always want my ODE to load as fast as possible. Um, and if you've purchased an official GDMU uh, that shipped in 2020, or obviously newer if you're watching this in the future, all you have to do is uh, put a file on the SD card um, and follow instructions on how to update it that way. Any older units have to have the loader updated first. Um, so, uh, and I believe every single clone will uh, will brick and fail if you try to upload any or update any of this stuff. So, if you were able to be one of the few people that actually bought one officially from Dunin, then now you have the ability to update and get some more features for your GDMU. Just a quick update to the Retro Fighters Striker DC Dreamcast controller project. Um, it looks like Retro Fighters has received the first run of production from the factory and will be shipping to the Kickstarter backers and website pre-orders pretty much right away. Um, and they'll uh, customers have already gotten updates, or at least should have gotten updates for this. And then hopefully we'll be able to each uh, just purchase them from stores soon enough. Um, so I'm still excited to try one. I haven't tried one yet. Um, someone, the lucky winner of one of the lockdown giveaways, care of Retro Fighters and Castlemania games probably already has theirs and is able to enjoy it. So I'm interested to see how it works uh, and I'll keep everybody updated when they're ready for sale. Hopefully they'll be available just at Castlemania soon enough. A documentary was just posted that I haven't had time to watch yet, but I'm excited about and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it's a documentary about the Street Fighter 3 scene and the Jazzy Circuit Tournament, and it covers live matches all the way from New York to Japan. So um, I'm pretty sure I, I might be wandering around in the background of some of this footage too. So <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, I hope I get to see some of my friends that participate in these tournaments in the video as well. Um, and hopefully it turned out as good as everybody's saying, uh, you know, I can't really offer any other thoughts other than I'm excited to see it, and I, I certainly hope it lives up to the hype. So uh, please check it out if you're interested in this stuff. Woozle just posted a firmware update for the Game Boy Advance consoleizer, uh, and there's good news and bad news. So the bad news is you need a specific type of programmer. You can't just plug in a USB cable and use your you know, computer software to update it. Uh, if you already have a programmer, you essentially can, but you have to wire it to the board. So anybody that's done direct JTAG updating where you have to make sure to align the pins correctly and hold it in with it powered while you run software to do the update. If, if you've been able to do stuff that complicated, you should be able to do it. But if not, I recommend sending yours out to somebody in order to do the update because you just you don't want to mess up your consoleizer trying to get a firmware update out of it. The good news is it seems to be a pretty awesome update, and it's probably going to be the last one Woozle ever posts. Um, and I mean that in a nice way because <clears throat> it's pretty much finished. So unless there's any major bugs that need to be found, you could be confident that you could update it this one last time and not have to worry about it again. And there's a pretty long list of updates. So I guess I would read through each of them and, and decide for you if you want or if any of these upgrades are worth doing it. I mean, if you already have the programmer and you already have the ability to, I would just do it anyway. Uh, if not, read through and decide if it's something that um, uh, 
that you'd really want to spend the time and effort on or pay somebody else to do. Um, the link to a programmer that's compatible is right here. So I guess I would just kind of check it out and decide on your own. But I was perfectly happy with the consoleizer in its current form. So, so the fact that we get a pretty major firmware update for free is impressive. And uh, I'm really happy that Woozle was able to, to do this for us. It essentially was a full rewrite of the code. So this is a pretty big upgrade for free. So thanks very much to Woozle. And uh, hopefully there's going to be people doing upgrades um, or offering an upgrade service. Copper Dragon, the same person that designed the component video mod for the Commodore 64, just posted a, co a component video mod for the ZX Spectrum. I was told by Renee I have to say it that way. Uh, and it's a no-cut mod that sits right in place of the RF box. So like many of the other mods we've talked about recently, just remove the RF modulator and then mount this right in its place. And you could get component video out of it. Um, it looks pretty cool. I don't have any of these computers to test it out on, but I know there's a whole group of people that are going to be very excited for this. So thanks, Vanessa, for keeping me and all of us up to speed on this stuff, because I'm not quite looped into the retro computer scene as much as I am just consoles and arcade stuff. So I super appreciate all of the other writers' contributions to this stuff. So that way we're really covering all grounds. So thanks to Vanessa, thanks to Copper Dragon and ZX Spectrum fans. Now you can enjoy component video output. I saved this next post towards the end because I have a feeling it's going to go on a little bit long, uh, but it's basically an overview of how to approach restoring classic consoles. Um, and, you know, many people just don't want to. They would rather buy a modern FPGA version of it or use a mister or just use software emulation if you have the ability to have a good quality software emulation machine. So, um, you know, if you're into, if you're somebody that enjoys a really good electronics project as much as playing a game, stick around for this. Or if you're just kind of interested in an overview, uh, if not, there's one more post after this. So maybe just skip to that. Um, but I totally understand if anybody doesn't want to sit through this because it might get a little bit long winded. Uh, but the basic premise of this post is how to approach restoring an original console for those of you who want to use original consoles. Um, and I chose the Super Nintendo for a few reasons. First, because uh, I'm confident in working on those, whereas other consoles, I would really need the help of my friends to do some of the mods. Um, and also because that's really the origin of retro RGB is be wanting to get as perfect a quality of signal out of a Super Nintendo as possible. So to go through this stuff, the, the two things that you're going to want to do to every single console that you own, if, if this stuff is important to you, is clean it and check the capacitors. So uh, I listed capacitor check first just because I wanted to make sure that stood out in people's minds. But for this, I'm going to go to the cleaning first. So these consoles are 30, 40 years old, depending on which it is. And... Um, they have probably, unless they're your own console, they've probably been transferred to a bunch of different owners through a bunch of different houses. And I won't click on the picture because I don't want to gross people out too much, but I can't tell you how many consoles I've opened and found mummified remains of roaches and bugs and stuff in them. Uh, and it's funny too, because one of them uh, even got passed through a few modders. And when I finally finished taking it all the way apart for something else, they were like stuck to the bottom. So they were like really solidified in there. <laughs> so I really strongly suggest just cleaning 
everything. And I have guides and videos on this, but basically disassemble everything, uh, take the, the circuit boards out and hit it with compressed air. I like to, to use this uh, computer cleaner thingy that's like, it's expensive, it's like 50 bucks, but it paid for itself in a year because I don't have to continually buy compressed air cans anymore. Um, I also, for the circuit board, depending on what I'm doing with it, um, anything I'm going to photograph, I use a flux remover pen to remove any flux from mods I've done or even factory flux that's been there from the beginning. Um, and then I kind of douse it in isopropyl and scrub it with a soft electronics brush, then wipe everything down. Um, and then I always hit it again with compressed air just to make sure any fluids that are underneath the chips get blown out. That's a very important one. Every time I think it's dry, you get underneath the chip and you see some of the isopropyl kind of blow out. And then I leave it for at least a little while just to be safe before powering it on. You certainly don't need to scrub down your boards, but definitely do not put them in a dishwasher. It drives me nuts when irresponsible YouTubers make videos about that. It's a terrible, terrible idea for any electronics board. Um, and also, clean the controllers, because you don't need a wild imagination to picture a dirty-ass teenager like we all were touching a controller, and now it's 30 years later with all that funk stuck in there. Um, I always, every controller that enters my house, I take it completely apart, uh, and I use the same procedure for the plastic of consoles, just for the heck of it. Uh, if it's really gross, I spray it with Goo Gone and scrub it wash that off, and then use dish detergent. If it's not super gross, I just use dish detergent. And I've been using the same plastic bristled brush for 10 years now. Um, and it's as long as you use soft plastic bristles, you'll never scratch the console. I get comments every once in a while from people saying, oh, you know, you're ruining your consoles with those. Now, probably hundreds of consoles have passed through that brush, and as long as you use soft plastic, you're fine. Um, I also scrub every nook and cranny of the controller. I scrub each of the buttons, uh, and then I wipe down the controllers, uh, the electronics of the controllers with isopropyl and a Q-tip. And then I, after drying them out, um, I try them and see if it still functions properly. And very often you need like a controller uh, rubber pad replacement kit. Console 5 has them. They're pretty good. Um, and because that's kind of a, a big thing. If you're taking the time to use original controllers and original consoles, and, you know, the pads are worn out, you're really kind of just shooting yourself in the foot. You don't want a bad experience. So if you think there's any chance the controller pads are wearing out, get a replacement kit, um, then put it all together and it's completely cleaned and you're good to go. Um, while it's apart and while you're taking a look at this stuff, check the capacitors. And this could be a little bit tricky because you could take a look at a capacitor and think it's totally fine. Um, and then you see something like this. This was a picture that Jose took of a PC Engine Duo. I believe it was a Duo. And you have one cap here that was removed, a surface mount cap. Sorry for anybody listening audio only, but there is a surface mount capacitor that was removed and the pad underneath is completely clean. And then there's another surface mount capacitor that was removed that the pad underneath is completely corroded. And if you look carefully, you could see that the corrosion is just barely around the pad area, which means when that cap was still on, you might have missed it. You might not have realized there was corrosion underneath. So take a very good look at caps. Um, for my Super Nintendo, um, I haven't really seen Super Nintendos with leaky caps that often. Um, I've seen them, uh, you know, one of the tall ones in the back by the the AV port. I've seen those leak once or twice, but it wasn't too big a deal. But I just figured since I was refurbishing this whole console, why not just take the time to do it? 
so I did. It was fairly easy. Um, you know, the surface mount capacitors can be a pain. Some people like to replace them with uh, regular through hole. I like to keep it all the way it was. Shouldn't matter at all, though, as long as you just take your time and do it right. And that's really where it ends. So if you, that's the only thing I would suggest that everybody should do to these consoles if they're looking to preserve them and make sure they last a long time. You don't need to go crazy. You don't need to rebuild anything. Uh, you don't need to RGB mod anything. Composite video on a CRT is still a perfectly awesome experience. Um, so overall, check the caps, clean it, put it back together, and you probably bought yourself many, many more years of life on that console. Um, and that's really it. However, if you are crazy like me and you want to start squeezing performance out of things, you could go in and fix factory flaws, if you want to call them that, with certain consoles, as well as upgrade them. And each console has their own uh, their own quirks that you want to look into. Um, for the Super Nintendo, there is a white line issue on the one chip in mini consoles where there's a white line going down the center of the screen. If you use a ROM cart, this issue really isn't that big a deal, but um, for anybody using original cartridges, you're going to see it. I remember seeing it as a kid. It drove me nuts then. I remember switching TVs to make sure it wasn't a, a broken TV. So this is something I would suggest doing if you're an owner of a one chip Super Nintendo or the minis. The fix is fairly easy. You're just going to want to replace the voltage regulator with a more modern one, the 78S05. Uh, for me personally, I also clean um, clean the heatsink really well and add some thermal paste to it, but I don't think it does anything. I just did it because there's no negative repercussions of doing that. Unlike some other power mods where there could be a lot of negatives, there is none. You know, I might get grease on my fingers while I'm doing it, so... At best, I saved one degree of temperature, and at worst, I just did nothing and got my hands dirty. So I still think I do it, but the more important part is replacing it with the, the 7805 with the 78S05. And then on all of the one chips and minis, there is a surface mount capacitor that is right next to where that volt voltage regulator is. On the one chip O2, it was C61. I'm not sure what the uh, number is in all of them, but I have a video out that's super easy to figure it out. You just use a multimeter, touch it to each side of the cap, and you could determine, yes, that's the exact one you're looking for. Uh, there's also a fix that can be done on these where... Some one chip in minis, not all. I think some people kind of misunderstand that, but on certain screens, you could see ghosting where there's movement. I guess ghosting is the best way to describe it. Uh, so there's been a fix found that says you could replace one capacitor. It's I believe it's C11 on all of them, kind of by the cartridge port, with a different value. And it gets rid of that. It adds some interference to other games. But overall, if you have the ghosting issue pretty bad, um, then this is probably something you'd want to do because it's more good than bad at the end. Also, it's my theory that this is a result of um, wide tolerance components. So when you buy capacitors, you could use 5%, 10%, 20%, or higher tolerance. And it might just be that the caps are aging, and it fell on one side of the, the spectrum of uh, what tolerance it was in. So replacing it with a higher quality, more modern one kind of dials that fix in. Um, you can get those right from uh, console 5 as well. All other consoles have their own little weird quirks and stuff, so you might want to just research each, but that's mine for the one-chip Super Nintendos. Then you might want to look into video mods. So if you're gaming on a CRT, 
Like you might not even really care about most of this stuff. Um, but if you're on a scaler or if you're on an RGB monitor, especially something like a BVM, RGB mods and RGB bypasses are something I would strongly consider. Um, so I guess a good example is if you have a consumer grade TV in original and an original Nintendo or Famicom, then you probably would have a perfect experience just gaming with composite video. But moving up to any of the higher end stuff, you're going to notice a difference with adding RGB capabilities, or even in the case of the Super Nintendo, bypassing the one chip's RGB circuit with a more modern amp. And it's one of these things where if you have uh, if you have a CRT, you, you might not notice a difference in most, but if you're lucky enough to have a calibrated BVM or a scaler in RGB going to a flat panel TV, we're approaching the time where this is going to start to be a noticeable difference. So, you know, at the moment with a 480p scaler, I, I doubt you would see a difference bypassing it on a, on a one chip, but 1080p to a 4K TV, yeah. Or when inevitably we're going to get 4K, 8K scalers and beyond, then yes, you're definitely going to start to notice all of these little differences. And bypassing the video would be something that you should take a little more seriously if clarity and sharpness is stuff that you're into. Now, on the SNES Mini, it doesn't output composite video at all. I mean, uh, RGB video at all. You're stuck with composite video. And with the same similar mod, you could restore RGB and S video. Those, I would definitely do it. Super Nintendos perform really well. You can get some amazing color and sharpness out of them on either S video or RGB. So maybe not necessary on the one chips probably do it on the minis uh, and then look into all the other consoles and look into your use case um, it might not be worth it some people might not want to just they just don't want to touch their original console and i get it i don't disagree with that i just think every use case is going to be different and then of course there's audio mods now the super nintendo as well as a few other consoles like the saturn the gamecube and uh, i think the 3do i'm drawing a blank here but you could actually tap digital audio right from the chip and adding another chip to it, you can get digital audio straight out. And, you know, there's been a debate over the years about this of, oh, it doesn't make a difference. Why would you waste your time? I respectfully disagree with all of that. Even if you're just using analog, shielded analog video cables that are of very good quality, if you're gaming on an expensive, fancy surround sound system, you're still going to have some kind of analog buzz in there. And going to a digital audio mod eliminates all of that. Also, if you're an audiophile, you're going to be able to tell little tiny differences where you might prefer digital audio, just so there's no chance of any interference being added. Um, for me personally on the Super Nintendo, um, the I was doing this to my one chip, and I didn't want to cut it at all. So I used Firebrand X's audio mod, which allows you to either use a optical audio or an RCA coax audio. So I used the RCA connector, removed the RF jack, and just put that right in its place. Um, it mounted very cleanly. It looked great. It looks it looks factory enough, so I, I, I feel like it looks good, but it looks different enough that hopefully if anybody gets this in the future, they'll see it and go, hey, that's probably not an RF out jack. Let me not plug an RF adapter into that. Um, but there's other options. If you have a mini that's going to require cutting anyway, Bordy's original mod with a digital out is awesome. I have guides on the site for that. Um, the Firebrand X's installs almost identically. There's just two pins that are uh, going to be swapped on the board. 
There's also options from QWERTY Moto now that I really like. Uh, at the moment, it's designed to fit right where the RF jack would have been on the SNES Mini, but he might be doing an updated version that fits right with a one-chip SNES. And same thing, you know, I would hope that the way you could install it is remove the RF box, drop this in its place, and then um, and have a solution that doesn't require any cutting, but looks weird enough so no one's going to think it's the original RF jack, because he actually uses mini Toastlink. So it looks like a 3.5 millimeter jack, but it's for an optical audio. So I... I I would kind of prefer that overall, just so there's no confusion. Like, even if you don't know what it is, you could just look at it and go, that's not RF, you know, stuff stuff like that's pretty cool. Now, not all consoles have digital audio mods available. Uh, I think the number one that I've been talking about a lot is the Genesis with the triple bypass. That uh, bypasses the audio and video. Um, and that might even be something, depending on your model Genesis, that you would call a factory quirk. Um, certain motherboard revisions of the Model 2 sound awful. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about like, oh, I prefer this type of sound chip over the other. I mean, it just, the circuit was bad and it just doesn't work right. So removing the, separating the audio lines from the motherboard, putting them on their own board and then having a new amplifier built in really improves the sound. So for audio files and video files, you could kind of have everything that you would need. So, you know, just to, to circle back to the beginning real quick before I end this, I do think that anybody that is an, an original console enthusiast should absolutely take the time to clean the console and to check the capacitors. I think if you have consoles like the Game Gear, uh, any of the pretty much any uh, PC Engine or Turbo Graphics console, definitely open it, especially the Duos and the Minis. And if you ha- and I, th- I don't know if I said Game Gear already, but any of those that are known for having bad caps, you gotta open them up because if you leave them the corrosion that those uh, that that fluid leaves will eat through the motherboard and it'll eventually just become unfixable. You would have to just throw out the motherboard and everything connected to it. So definitely take the time to clean and check. Everything else is just if you feel like it. So many people get the the misunderstanding that I I think the only right way to play consoles is in the most perfect RGB on a BVM and I that's never been what the message I've been trying to convey. I I like that very much. I like RGB on a BVM. That's how I prefer to play in many cases, almost all cases, but that's not the right way to do it. That's just the way I like it. I know a lot of people that prefer composite video because the really neat artwork that uses the pretty much the messiness of composite video to do the blending is pretty neat and and does add kind of a a neat feel to it. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So play these games any way that you want to. There really aren't many wrong ways to play it, but there are tons of right ways to play it. But if you do like original hardware, clean them, check the caps, and don't hesitate to reach out to professionals to have the cap replacements done. Um, I just had my Saturn done by Jose because I just, I'm sure it was fine, but I don't ever want to worry about it again. He did the digital audio mod for me. He replaced all the caps. And now I have, a, I think he even replaced the laser and uh, tweaked that. So now I have a Saturn that probably for the rest of my lifetime, I don't have to worry about. Um, and that that's something that I think that a lot of people should probably consider these days. So uh, I know this ran quite long. This probably should have been a video in itself. 
myself, but I just wanted to make sure to go through this so people understood the restoration process and what that really means and what you have to go through. So if all of you think this should be another video, I could probably do, I could probably say almost all of this, but add some fancy B-roll to it or something. But I just wanted to get the info out there now, which is why I took the, you know, the full day to do this and write the post on it. So hopefully I didn't ramble too much and this got the message out. This last bit is a little bit of drama, so I'm going to skip to the end, and then uh, if you still want to hang around for the rest, I definitely have some thoughts that I feel are important about it. Uh, but skipping to the end, Hyperkin has admitted that their composite video adapter for the TurboGrafx-16 is a piece of crap, and they don't care at all. It's right on Twitter. You could, If you don't believe me, I have links here. So we've been, we meaning everybody that takes the time to research this stuff has been warning people against these adapters for over a year now, probably more than that. And uh, now it's been justified. So I have a bunch of thoughts about this that I think are important to convey. But if, if you're not in the mood to listen to that, the fact that was the facts, you could just close the podcast, nothing else important after this. But my thoughts on this come with a lot of mixed emotions, because Having a, a video game company screw you over feels so much less important today than it usually does with everything else going on. But I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't stand up when I feel I see something wrong happening. It usually comes back to bite me. It usually backfires and does no good. Um, people usually just misunderstand me and then use it against me. But I'm I'm just me and I always will be. Um, Hyperkin sells a product that does not have a completed circuit in it which is quality and safety related. So Voltar did a full analysis. I transposed it with his permission to this post. Uh, here's the full circuit of what composite video coming out of a turbo graphics and PC engine looks like. Now, this part is what's inside the console. You don't need to be an electrical engineer. You could just see that this is the first uh, three quarters of the circuit. And the pins on the back of the turbo graphics don't actually output composite video. They technically does, but it's not a full circuit. The rest of the circuit here is what's in any of the official adapters for it. Uh, and anytime somebody builds a proper adapter, like the uh, engine booster, DB graphics booster, whatever, you will find this there. And that gives you the proper output. Um, now, what happens if you don't have this proper output, like the turbo or like the Hyperkin adapter, which does not? Um, a few things. So first of all, the composite video quality is going to be significantly worse. It's going to be darker. There's going to be artifacts and interference on the screen. And while some people have the, in my opinion, incorrect attitude of who cares, it's composite video. I just talked for almost 20 minutes about how how important it is to re to keep your other console or your original consoles in good shape and how good of an experience composite video could be. So this would have been an awesome choice, a cheap adapter that you could just pick up a, a free CRT. If you're lucky enough to find one on Craigs Craigslist, grab your old console out of the closet, plug this in. You, you could have had a great experience, but now you have a, a total piece of crap adapter. The other side's the safety side. Um, and this isn't that big of a deal. It's not like using SCART cables with the wrong components on a scaler and stuff like that. But there's a few things that could happen without this. First is that if composite video shorts to ground, you could blow out the transistor inside the console. Now, that's not a likely scenario, but it's plausible. You know, what if you accidentally plug the console in uh, with the switch on and you have 
composite and audio cables laying next to each other and the composite pins touching the ground of the audio. That's totally plausible, and it wouldn't be anybody's fault. You didn't know that the console switch was on, and that's it. You now got to replace the transistor, which means you got to probably send it to a pro to repair. And if you didn't hear this podcast and read this article, you might not even know what it is, and you could think your console's just dead. So that that in itself, I think, is pretty bad. But there's also a chance that because the capacitors and the rest of the circuit aren't on there, it'll make your devices that you plug it into work harder. Now, really well-built devices like the RetroTink products, that's not an issue. But let's say you have your childhood TV that's you know 30 years old and you plug this into it, and maybe that TV only had five or six years left on it, and now it's dead within a year, because, or at least the, the composite video input circuit's dead because it had to work twice as hard because there's no filtering uh, of the AC line going through it. Is that likely to happen? I don't really know, but that's the problem. Do you want to take that chance because Hyperkin skimped out on 10 cents worth of parts? Uh, and here's where I get kind of annoyed, and here's what really made me want to write this article and talk so much about this. It's not just the the fact that this happens, because we all know that there's just companies out there that could care less about anything. They just, if you buy it, they'll sell it. Uh, Hyperkin responded a few times. The first response was a a canned PR response. Thank you for your feedback. We want to improve. Yeah. Then their other response, which I screenshotted in case they delete it. I'm just going to read this out loud to you. Our AV adapter is a simple breakout board enclosed in a shell. We definitely know that for proper signal processing, more components are required, just as you described. We are a business that operates in a very competitive market where every component and every decision counts. So that is a very clear statement that they know that their adapter is a piece of crap. They know that it could potentially harm your equipment and they don't care because they want to save 10 cents on capacitors. So, you know, I've had game stores and and game distributors tell me in the past, like, hey, we stock this stuff because if we don't, people are just going to buy it elsewhere. And I respect that. And I especially respect that now when a lot of people are really struggling to keep afloat with everything going on. But the other side of that is if we keep buying them, they're going to keep making them. So if you're somebody like me that can't stand watching, watching, you know, the big bully pick on people and you, you have to stand up to this, tweet at Hyperkin and, you know, do it, do it professionally and politely, but tweet, tweet them or retweet theirs, which is probably the better way to go about doing it and say just the truth. Here's Hyperkin and completely admitting that their stuff is crap. And here's a post and you, I'm sure Voltar wouldn't mind if you linked to his tweets as well. He put them out there for a reason. Here's proof that says this could potentially do harm and proof that it's going to be a crappy signal. And, you know, get these companies to stop doing this. And to anybody that owns, you know, any store that's selling these, you know, you, you got to realize now, I'm certainly not telling you to throw your stock in the garbage, but you got to give your feedback to Hyperkin. You got to tell them, hey, you know, now we have to answer to our customers who have bought this. You know, I don't want to be dealing with support emails because you made a piece of crap. And now somebody's might be afraid that their TV is going to short out because of it. As unlikely as that might be, the chance is not zero. So please stand up to these companies. Please tell them that you can't do this anymore. We're smart enough to figure this out. 
there is now an internet and there's now people like us who have been working on these things that are not afraid to voice their opinions and stand up to them. And if you see YouTubers shilling this stuff, which to be clear, you know, there was a, a very positive discussion uh, on social media last week about people who get things for free to review. Anybody that puts serious time into a review could t- could buy probably 10 of whatever it is that they're reviewing if they just took that same amount of time and did something else. So it doesn't matter if you get something for free, but there are groups of people out there that do reviews just to get things for free. You know, they get that free product, they pick it up and they, they hold it up and they talk about it for two and a half minutes and, you know, then add some word vomit to get over the 10 minute, you know, get caught in the algorithm for YouTube thing. And they put no real effort into it. It's, you know, 20 minutes start to finish. Ignore those people. Don't don't attack them. Don't go after them. I hate drama. I hate seeing stupid stuff like that. But if you keep watching their videos and you keep giving them the clicks, companies are still going to send them the free crap so that they could shill it to you. So I'm sure all of this is going to be a very unpopular opinion. I'm sure this is all going to blow back in my face like it always does when I stand up to people who I think are doing wrong. But I, I got to just, I wouldn't be me if I didn't say it. And I know it all seems pretty insignificant today when way more important issues are out there. But regardless of what other issues are out there, Hyperkin is still trying to screw us all over. So I'll end my rant now. I'm sorry to take too long doing this, but this is just something that I'm very passionate about because I know so many developers that bend over backwards to make sure that the products that you buy are safe and as high a quality as reasonably possible. And Hyperkin very often does the opposite. Not all their stuff. They're responsible for a lot of cool things, but they're also responsible for a lot of garbage and a lot of things that kind of hurt their own bottom line because terrible products might end up with people that don't enjoy the experience and stop playing retro games. So that kind of shoots themselves in the foot because then they don't go back and buy more Hyperkin products. So please take a stand to these people. Please do it politely so that you don't just look like a troll, which I'm not calling you a troll. I'm just saying, if you start a tweet or a comment with, hey, douchebag, you're not going to get taken seriously. (laughs) So I don't know. Hopefully we can stop this. Thank you to Voltar for taking the time to both write all of these things and make sure that my post uh, in doing this was accurate and correct. And let's just see if we could try to stop these people from getting away with this. Well, that's it for this week. I actually recorded some segments of this on Monday and some on Tuesday just for scheduling stuff. So excuse me if the sound is a little bit off between the two sections or anything like that, but it should have been pretty even and it shouldn't be that big a deal. Just figured I'd address it for all my fellow OCD nerds out there that pick up on this stuff. Uh, But more importantly than anything, thank you all so much for watching, for listening, for being nice in the comments, and for really just making these all very awesome. And especially thank you to everybody that supports on Patreon and Floatplane because it's you who's keeping all of these videos, the research and development, and all the other craziness I'm involved with going. So thank you all very much, and I will see you next week. 